Salut Benning Church. Um, yeah, we thank God this evening. Um, we have an opportunity to meet, and the, the Bible says where two or three are gathered in His name, uh, the Lord is there also. And so the Lord is here with us. Yes. And for me, that's the greatest thing, to know mm-hmm. that the Lord is with us. We are not on our own, but the Lord is with us. This weekend has been a hectic weekend. Uh, it's a weekend that uh, we have lost our sister, Beth. Yes. Uh, we have been praying. We prayed every form of prayer. We pleaded with the Lord, hoping that the Lord could spare her life. Uh, the Lord had other plans. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I heard from... Pastor Jeff, last Friday, that Friday, I had a conversation with Pastor Jeff, and he was telling me about the passing of Sister Bev, and that before Sister Bev passed, uh, before she went to be with the Lord, before she breathed her last, she said, I am ready to go. And this statement, I'm ready to go, has been with me for the whole weekend. I have been thinking, uh, how ready am I? Could I equally say I am ready to go? Because when brothers and sisters are sick in the hospital, we see the progression of illness you know, from this to that, from the hospital to hospice. You know, we are really wrestling with anything can happen. But there is like preparation, the grieving, you know, the grieving process has begun already has begun already, but the Lord says he will come at an hour at a, at a, a, at, on a day that we do not expect. And I have been saying, how ready am I? Uh, how ready are we? And then I went to scriptures. Uh, I realized that actually it's not only my concern, but our Lord Jesus Christ was also concerned about how ready were his disciples. The, if we go to Matthew chapter 23, 24, 25, you see that he has dedicated chapter 24 and chapter 25, especially Matthew who narrates what Jesus did. He dedicates these two long chapters to a conversation or the teaching that Jesus had with his disciples. He is preparing his disciples before he departs. Usually Jesus will teach the multitudes, but this time he focuses on his disciples. And I'm saying, but why is Jesus so concerned about preparing his disciples to be ready? Because he has been with them, he has prepared them, he knows that. In fact, he has used them for ministry. He sent them in chapter 10 of Matthew, he sent them out. They went to heal the sick, they cast out demons, you know, they preached the gospel. In fact, they say they even saw certain falling, like lightning from heaven. It's a thing that I have never seen. <laughs> but so after they have done everything, why is Jesus so concerned about them getting ready? So um, we see that from chapter 23 of Matthew, uh, Matthew, uh, Jesus has a confrontation with with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And after that confrontation, then Jesus goes to Mount of Olives with his his disciples. And his disciples are showing him the beautiful temple. Look at the temple. Then Jesus prophesies or predicts about the destruction of the temple. 
um, of course, historically, then in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed, some 30 years or 40, between 30 and 40 years after the prophecy. The temple is destroyed. But then the disciples are concerned. They say, no, when will these things happen? And what will be the signs of your coming? The signs of the end of the world. So Jesus begins to teach them the signs of the end of the world. And when I have gone through chapter 24 and chapter 25, I see Jesus teaches a lot of things. But for me, uh, there are two concerns that stand out. Uh, one of the concerns is he is concerned about deception, that the disciples may be deceived. The second concern is about the readiness of the disciples. He says, so be ready. Uh, so we are going to read uh, in Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, there is a parable that Jesus tells his disciples to show the disciples that they must be ready because they do not know the hour, they do not know the time when the Son of Man will come back. Okay. Shall we pray before we read the Bible? Our Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are able to speak to us through your word even today. Uh, we pray that you will be with us, you lead us, you guide us, Lord, that we may understand scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I'm reading from Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. Matthew 25, verse 1, I'm reading from New King James Version. I was going to read from King James Version, but somehow <laughs> somehow I struggle with thee, thou, unto he, unto thee. <laughs> so, so I got the same version, but polished the one. Okay. New King James Version. Uh, the parable of the wise and fresh virgins. <clears throat> verse 1. The parable... Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Verse 6. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Get out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Verse 11. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Hallelujah. So, as I said that, 
throughout chapter 24 and 25, you actually see the concern of Jesus preparing his disciples. He prepares them against false teachers. He teaches them, no, in the last days, there will be false teachers. They will teach this. They will say, here is the Christ, and here is that. Um, every now and then he will say, get ready. Get ready, for you know not the hour <clears throat> that the Son of Man is coming. Somehow Jesus, because Jesus knows his audience, the people he was teaching, he understood his audience, he was part of them. He grew up there. So he uses the parable of the wedding banquet. And Jews understood how their weddings used to happen. The wedding in the time of Jesus, the wedding used to happen at night. Yes, it would take the whole seven days, but really the wedding where the bridegroom and the bride meet used to happen at night. And so the Jewish wedding had three parts. The first part is when a guy goes to propose a girl. Hey, that's the first part. And the second part is betrothal. Now, betrothal for them is like what we call engagement, but for them it was more than engagement because during betrothal, that's where they signed the marriage contract, the ketubah. In Hebrew, Hebrew it's called ketubah. That's where they signed the marriage contract. So, according to the contract, they are married, but they are not allowed to stay together up until their wedding day. So, if someone changed their mind in between the time of signing the ketubah and the wedding, it would still be considered a divorce. Now, traditionally, after signing the betrothal, there could be a period of maybe one year, about one year or so. Now, during this one year, the bride had work to do, the groom had work to do. Now, the bride stayed at her mother's house. She was preparing her linen, her dress, that she could wear on the wedding. Now, the bridegroom goes back to his father's house. He will go there and prepare a place where he is going to stay with his wife when they get married. Unlike our days, in their days, the son is not going to prepare a place outside of the father's house. He will go to prepare a place inside his father's house. So that corner where you have that corner, you know, Christy, Christy, that corner, that side. So the son would prepare, <laughs> would prepare that space that when my wife comes, this is where we will stay. But he will stay inside the father's house. So that's the way that he will be really um, be busy with for the whole period that he's preparing. And perhaps that's why Jesus in John chapter 14, he says, I go to my father's house to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many mansions. He is not saying I am going to my father and build a house next to my father's house. Just outside or just in front of my father's house. No, 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 no. I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. Because that's how the Jewish tradition used to be. Now, when the son is ready with, his, with preparing his, his, his part, in Hebrew they call it nuku, nuku as in N-O-O-K, when he is done with that, 
On the other hand, the father will be preparing for the feast, because remember the feast takes seven days, he will be preparing for the feast. When the father is ready, when he is ready, he will tell the son, hey, son, go and get your bride. Just like that. So the son does not know when he is going to get his bride. It's only the father who knows. Maybe that's not maybe, but that's why Jesus, when they ask him, so when when is the time that you come back? He says, nobody knows. Not the son, not the angels. Nobody knows. It's only the father who knows. But traditionally, Jews understood that a bride, the bridegroom will come at a time, at an hour that you do not expect. Well, when the father is ready, he will, send the, he will tell the son, go and get your bride. And so the son has to go and get his bride. No notice, no notice to the bride. Remember, at that time, they have no cell phones, so you cannot, you cannot warn someone that, hey, we are on our way, get ready. But where the bride is, she will hear the sound. The bridegroom is coming, get ready. And so she will go, because she would have prepared her dress already. She has her own lamp. She has oil in her lamp. At that time, there's no electricity. The streets are dark. And so each one, every person had to have a lamp. They have to have oil in their lamp. So she has oil always ready in her lamp that when the bridegroom comes, the time the bridegroom comes, I am going to be taken. Okay, so well, the bridegroom comes and she's dressed up and off they go. And at that time, the wedding does not take place in the mother's house, in her mother's house. I don't know here, but in my country, traditionally, the wedding will take place at, the, uh, at my wife's place. That's where the wedding will take place. Here, the wedding will take place at the father's, at the, at the bridegroom's father's house. That's where the wedding takes place. So he will go to take his bride wherever the bride is and bring the bride to his father's house. That's where the wedding takes place. And you will see that when we read through the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19, we talk, we hear about the marriage of the Lamb that is going to take place in heaven. So he's talking about Jesus coming to fetch his bride, take his bride to the Father, and have the wedding of the Lamb. And the marriage of the Lamb is going to take place in heaven. But when he comes, he is asking, when he comes, is he going to find the bride ready? Because it would happen that he comes and the bride is not ready. So then he tells, he tells the story of two sets of virgins, two sets of virgins. Now, traditionally, <clears throat> virgins should be uh, girls who have really kept themselves, they have obeyed the law, they have kept everything, the laws from their parents, from their from their religion. So they have really, they are, they are pure. However, Jesus finds an issue with one group, one set of the virgins, because he calls them foolish. Why are they foolish? The difference between the wise and the foolish is that the wise were ready. They had extra oil. They knew the wedding will take place at night. They knew traditionally it's unpredictable. You cannot predict the time that the bridegroom is going to come. So the bridegroom may come at any time. 
So they had extra oil on the side. Now the five foolish ones, somehow for some reasons, I do not know, they did not have extra oil. I would like to think that it was me, it was negligence on their side, because they knew the tradition. They knew that they needed to have extra oil. I am sure they might have observed that other people have extra oil in readiness to get in with the bridegroom at any time the bridegroom comes, because you just cannot tell when the bridegroom is going to come. Of course, that's what happens here. They negotiate with the wise ones who had extra oil, but the wise ones said, no, there will not be enough for us if we share. So by the time they go to look for oil, to buy oil, uh, the bridegroom gets into the wedding banquet. And like I said, that the wedding used to take place at the father's house, so the father could prepare a banquet hall. And when the guests have come in, that they wanted to come in, when the guests have come in, then they will shut the door. Now, because each one of them needs to have their own lamp, it's dark, you need to have your own lamp. You could not go there if you do not have your own lamp. You have to have your own. That is why the five fresh ones could not make it. Now, when they come back, they are, when they come back, they find that the doors are shut. Now, they start pleading and negotiating with the Lord. He says, go, go away, I do not know you. And I was thinking, this thing of go away, I do not know you. It's not the first place where Jesus talks about this. He talks still in Matthew towards the end. Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, something going down there. He talks about the judgment seat. When people will come, Oh Lord, but I preached in your name. In your name I cast out demons. In your name we healed the sick. In your name we did this. They will give the Lord a list of activities that they did. But Jesus said, no, go away. I do not you. I do not know you. So I was saying, could it be that I could do everything that I do and still the Lord say, go away? I never knew you. Could it be because it has to do with my preparation? Could it have to do with negligence? There are things as a child of God I know how I have to prepare for the coming of the Lord because I actually don't know when he will come. But then, is it complacency? Is it because I'm complacent and I relax and uh, I let go the controls? What really happened to the five foolish virgins? Because they should know this. But no, it's possible uh, one can, um, can lose discipline when um, you wait for something for a long time. But then, that's where Jesus is. Verse 13, now he is saying, the Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. But why should Jesus warn his disciples? For me, I am. That's why I, am, I really got concerned about my readiness. Why should he warn his disciples? Because his disciples were pure. They were, I mean... They were righteous, they were pure, they were fine. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, No, for you, you are clean because of the way. You are clean already because of the way. These guys are clean, but why is he concerned warning them that are clean already? Could it be that there is a possibility they could not be found ready 
when the Lord Jesus comes? Shall we be found ready when the Lord Jesus comes? That's the first concern I see uh, that brought Jesus to sit down with the disciples. His last days of earthly ministry, he spent time with his disciples. The second thing he addresses is deception. He really warns them about deception. If we go to Matthew chapter 24, um, chapter 24, verse, verse 4, they have asked him, what are the signs of your coming? And in verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And Jesus continues to talk about uh, how they will deceive people. So he is concerned that even his disciples can be deceived. That became my concern as well. Could, you, could I be deceived, a child of God, born again, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ? Could I be deceived? And when we go throughout history, we see that deceptions have come. Every now and then deception has come. I was talking with the pastor on Friday. We talked a lot of things. One of the things, <laughs> one of the things that we talk, uh, we talk is about deception, how the Roman Catholic Church deceived the people for a period of 472 years. From 2095 to 1567, that whole period, they taught that you can get salvation by works. You have to work in order to get your salvation. So some people will go to fight in the crusades to work to reduce the burden of their sins, for the remission of their sins. But otherwise, what excelled for a long time was the selling of the certificates indulgences. Okay. You have to buy indulgence if you have to, to be saved for the remission of your sins. And people have been buying indulgences, buying indulgences over a period of time to save themselves. And in fact, there is a guy who comes later, John, Johan, Johanna, Johan, Tazi. He comes and he says, you can actually buy salvation for your loved ones who have died already. Because at that time, they propagate the teaching that when a person dies, they go to the waiting place called purgatory. Now, that purgatory, if my loved one is there, and I pay for them. When the coin, when you hear the coin falling in the box, then the soul springs out of purgatory, going to paradise. Somehow people believe. That's deception. Believe. But how did they reinforce their, their deception? Is They did not give people the word to read for themselves. Deception excels when people do not read for themselves. And that continued, that continued, that continued until 1517, Martin Luther, he was also troubled by his own, <laughs> in his own soul. So God intervened on his behalf and God revealed to him that salvation is through grace, is, is, by, is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And there the confrontation starts and the confrontation goes on until 1567, that's when the Roman Catholic finally abolishes the setting of indulgences. So, Pastor and I were talking that just imagine that whole period of 470 something years, how many people were deceived. They go where they have to go only to find that they did not get what they paid for. 
And so deception <coughs> continues to be a big thing in the church. When someone reads the Bible, they have a revelation, they will start their own church somewhere, and they will have some people who follow them. And so Jesus spends his time to teach the disciples the truth because he talks about the counterfeit that will happen here, but really Jesus spends most of his time teaching the disciples the truth because he wants the disciples to read for themselves. He says, if you continue in my teaching, that's in John chapter 8, if you continue in my teaching, you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Remember the confrontation he had with the Jews? They were saying that, no, we are Abraham's children and all this. Now, if you continue in my word, in my teaching you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The enemy, the devil uses deception a big time to lead people astray. I have given an example of the Roman Catholic Church. There are many examples. I work, I work here at the prison here. Um, I work in the religious branch as a chaplain. So I facilitate um, different religions to conduct their services. We even have a service for weekends, the witches, we have a service for Satanists, now we have a service for everyone. And to see this one, they believe in that God, that one believes in that God, this one believes in that God. But whoever believes in anything, that belief was started by someone else, and they have followed. That's why Jesus teaches the truth, so that we are able to know the truth. When Martin Luther uh, confronts the Roman Catholic Church, the first thing he does is to invent a press printing press publishing printing press yeah printing press to print more bibles so people can read for themselves you and i uh, we can read for ourselves these days there are lots of different devices that we can we can listen to the word of god we can read really like what pastor was preaching this morning we cannot say i did not know because every corner we turn to we are confronted with the word of god Let me close with what I heard, that the banks, the banks that keep our money, when they are training their workers, um, they show them the genuine money, the genuine banknote, the dollar bill. They use the genuine one. Um, they don't teach them uh, the fake ones, the counterfeit ones, because the counterfeits will always come. But when they know the genuine one, they are able to distinguish the counterfeit from the genuine. Jesus teaches us the truth so that we are able to discern. When the false teachers come, when the false uh, prophets come, and he says this will happen in the last days, and they are actually happening big time. I come from Africa. Um, you see that uh, people are really competing on miracles, performing miracles, Dece <laughs> deception. Some miracles happen, uh, I think, by God's hand, and uh, there is the one that really stole the show, was uh, when they successfully uh, <clears throat> claimed that someone died, yes, they claimed that someone died, and uh, they brought that someone, they put that someone who died in the coffin, and brought someone to church, and the pastor prayed and spoke, Come out! <laughs> and then the person woke up. 
And that went viral. The word is viral. That went viral in South Africa. That the miracle has happened. The date has risen. The miracle has happened. The miracle has happened. But then the media were more curious about how did the miracle happen. They dug it out, they dug it out, only to find that actually they faked the miracle. And these are the last days. I'm not surprised these are the last days. But you should see how full that church is. Because I've been there, because my friends worshipped at that church. So I went, they invited me, I went there. I've been there, I saw, wow, things are happening. Things are happening here. But when they faked that event, I said, this is what Jesus wants us about. So I wanted to share with you uh, this evening about the two concerns that Jesus had. Uh, it's concerned that his disciples could be um, exposed to deception, and by being deceived, they could actually uh, miss him when he comes. But also he was concerned that his disciples may not be ready at the time when he comes. And so uh, my conversation with Pastor really triggered my, my uh, concern about how ready am I. Sister Babe said she's ready to go, and she has gone to be with the Lord. For those of us who are still here, we still remain a concern for Jesus. How ready are we when the bridegroom comes? May the Lord bless and keep you. Amen. Let's stand for prayer. Our most gracious and loving Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for all the many blessings that you've bestowed upon us. And, Lord, as we go into this time of invitation, Lord, just help us to know that we're ready. Just convict us, Lord, if we're not. And just help us just to look to you for guidance and understanding into your word. And, Lord, again, I just pray that you would be with us and overshadow us with your love and watch care. We just ask this in your Son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Number 280, Jesus, keep me near the cross. 280, come to